Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 27 through 37. So Philip got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? This is the word of God for all the God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So I am going to ask for some grace, because I woke up this morning, and something in my head and on my heart realized that The sermon that I had typed early yesterday morning was the exact same sermon as I preached last week, only with different words. And I didn't feel like that was necessarily the flow or trajectory of the sermon series we wanted to take, is to be stuck just in provenient grace. And so uh, I rewrote it this morning. Um, And I'm going to start off by making you a bet, because that's what good United Methodists do, is gamble. I'm going to make you a bet, and I'm going to bet you 10% of your income that you tie to the church that whoever wins the Super Bowl tonight, probably the starting quarterback for that team, will go on camera, and they will say, tell us about your win, how do you feel right now, and their first words will be, all glory to God, which is awesome. Except I'm always confused because God never threw a pass. God never ran it into the end zone. God never made a block. God never made a tackle. God never picked it off and ran it back for six. God really didn't do any of those things. And as far as I know from my biblical witness and biblical history, Jesus did not play American football while he was here on the earth. But they will proclaim all glory to God. Is it not enough that they did the work? 
Let's take it back to Friday, night to shine. I was, uh, my job was essentially schmooze uh, the entire time. It was to walk around, help anybody with any problems, make sure people were going, make sure everything was having a good time. I ended up on the dance floor for the majority of the time. It was really super fun. And while I was on the dance floor, it was really where I saw just, uh, especially these high school students, just step up in amazing moments. Um, I, I saw Kelly O'Hare and Winnie McConney were with buddies who were nonverbal, and so they spent three hours dedicating their time to loving people who were non-communicative with them. They literally sat with them for three hours and gave up their time because of the love that they have, because of the good that they can do, because of that prevenient grace we talked about last week. Prevenient grace is how God works within us and through us to, to bring us to good, to show us we can do good. We can do good even before we know the name of God on our lips. And, and they did that. But there was this one particular uh, guy, and I'm going to call him Blake because I didn't ask permission to share his story, but he was a high school senior at Allen. Um, was a pal, seems like a good guy. And Blake's one of those guys that when you look at him, you just imagine he's got about a thousand other possibilities of what to do on a Friday night, except for be at a church with a dance, you know, night to shine kind of theme. But Blake had a buddy that was opposite to Wendy and Kelly's buddies. The, the guest that Blake was with never stopped dancing. <laughs> In line, checking in, getting food, on the dance floor. This guy, and it wasn't like this kind of dancing. It was like this kind of dancing. And, and I say three hours, probably 6.45 to 8.45, two hours straight. This guy did not stop moving. And you could see where a lot of people started wearing down toward the course of the night, but, but Blake's buddy didn't. And Blake didn't either. Blake matched him dance for dance and step for step and energy for energy. And so, and the, the other part of it was is, you know, if you remember your high school dances, it's a little easier to go crazy when you're in the middle of the dance floor because not everybody's looking at you. You don't feel as isolated. Um, Blake's buddy didn't feel comfortable in the middle of the dance floor. And so the energy of a techno rave in this one gentleman happened over in that corner over there. And so Blake, with his buddy, was going absolutely nuts, isolated, all by himself for everybody to see over in the corner. And you know what? Blake just kept on going. And so I went over. At the end of the night, he was helping put away tables. And I just went over and I just said, look, I, I need to know your name. And I just want to thank you because I just saw you various times throughout the night. And you were amazing. Like, you matched this guy energy for energy. Like, you were amazing. And what were the first words out of his mouth? All glory to God, man. All glory to God. And I thought, well, you did the dancing. You're the one putting up tables. Isn't it enough for you to do that? Isn't it enough? I mean, prevenient grace is what leads us to do good. And so isn't it, isn't it okay enough for us just to accept that we can do good and be capable of good and take the credit a little bit? Isn't it okay for us to just stop at that place of goodness and say, you know what, it's just fine if we want to be good. Why is that not enough? Well, it was interesting, before the Provenient Grace sermon last week, this, this grace that leads us to do good, I went and I just asked various types of people. I asked some of our students on Wednesday night in different ways. I asked friends from seminary. I asked other clergy people. I asked family members, I, just in different ways. I just asked them the question of where does good come from? How do, how do we know what is good? And I don't know what you would answer that. Maybe the first words out of your mouth would be, all glory to God. 
But the first words out of three quarters of the people that I asked, when I said, where does good come from? They said, yourself. And not to be outdone, there was a video that I watched just this week, kind of in the course of things, and it was um, how to be a good Christian, essentially. And I'd be curious if I asked you, what does it mean to be a good Christian? I would wonder if you'd give a lot of the same answers that were on this video. It's, well, a good Christian goes to church, and they read their Bible, and they pray, and they serve others. What I found fascinating is no one on that video said that being a good Christian is turning your life over to the glory of God. It was all very centered around our actions. It was all very centered around what we can do. It was all centered around this good habit of life. And so we look at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and we wonder, why did he need to stop and be baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch had taken a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He had gone from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, invested his personal resources to get there and worship in the Holy Land. He had done what these good Jewish people should do. He was meditating upon the Scriptures. I don't know how many of y'all listen to the Bible app while you're driving, but he's in a chariot and he's reading a scroll. He's committed. And he's reading Isaiah, which is not an easy text to read. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's doing everything right, even his eunuchness for the adults who know what that means. It's done out of devotion so that they can do their job well and they're not distracted by other urges. The Ethiopian eunuch is doing everything right. He's finding good. He's doing good. He's matching kind of John Wesley energy for energy. In Wesley's early days of, of kind of the Methodist movement, the Holy Club at Oxford, he's, this Angli- or he's studying to be an Anglican priest. He gets ordained. But in the course of Wesley's early ministry, he's kind of the most depressed, neurotic minister that there's ever been. Because he patterns his entire life. And we look at this with reverence on some level, that, that Wesley patterned his entire schedule. He would wake up and pray, and then he would study Scripture, and then he'd meet with friends and pray, and then he'd go to the prisons and visit those in prison. Then he'd go to the, the infirmary and visit those who were sick, and then he'd pray more. And his entire day was scheduled out. And we might look at that and say, either A, you're crazy, or B, wow, what a Christian. Somebody who has taken control of their schedule, taken control of their life, and patterned it to be good. But Wesley was doing this out of a massive insecurity complex that God didn't love him. And he was doing this because he wanted to earn God's affection. He wanted to throw six Super Bowl passes so he could earn affection. He wanted to dance all night so he could earn affection. And I wonder how much the Ethiopian eunuch needed to stop Because something inside of him told him that everything he was doing wasn't enough for what he was seeking. As human beings, we tend to be obsessed with control. We tend to be obsessed with ourselves a little bit, too. And as Western human beings, the the, the greatest myth that we are told is that you can do it all by yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But it's not just the John Wayne types that are the put yourself up by your own, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I went and, and I asked that question of where does good come from, from somebody I know who um, some of you would describe as a liberal hippie communist. 
Um, he fights for justice for all people. You would look at his habit and, uh, habits and you would say, oh my gosh, that person is, is totally about community building and totally about other people. And I said, where does good come from? What does good mean to you? And he said, good is whatever you define it for yourself. We tend to be very much about how can we control the narrative about ourselves or we tend to be obsessed with controlling who we are, how we see each other, we tend to be a little obsessed with seeking our own perfection. And I think the dichotomy that tears us apart, that I think the Ethiopian eunuch hears this story from Isaiah, this prophecy about a servant that is going to be sent by God to suffer for us on our behalf, I think what's tearing apart the, the eunuch inside, which gets to a lot of us, is there's this part of us that knows that we are good. Genesis talks about it in terms of being made in the image of God. And that before we ever knew that God loved us, before we ever knew the existence of God, we are made in the image of God. So we are capable of good. I think something inside of us knows that we are good and capable of good and we are loved. But also we wrestle with the fact that we know that just around the turn, we can be just as capable of evil as we can of good. The Super Bowl who wins, the quarterback who wins the Super Bowl tonight, next season, could tank and be traded. Blake, I have no idea what he's doing today, but he very well could just be as mean as he was nice. All of us inside of us have this constant tension and that we want to believe that we are perfect. We want to believe we are complete. We want to believe that we are just good in all things. But all of us also live in this tension of knowing that we haven't always been good in all things. And that we tend to get caught up in pride and jealousy. And H. Richard Niebuhr was a theologian at Union Seminary up in New York. And, and he postulated that all sin stems from the sin of pride. And that pride is what drags us into murder, theft, jealousy, envy, whatever it is, is because we want to center ourselves in perfection. We want to define what is good. We want to think that we are complete in and of ourselves. And so when someone else doesn't match that or someone challenges that or someone threatens us that maybe we're not as good or complete as we might think we are, well, then we strike out and we try and do whatever we can to gain control again. There's a great story, the Ethiopian eunuch story happens in Acts 8, but before that there's a story about um, a gentleman named Simon. And as Paul and Silas had brought the spirit to the, the Samaritans, Peter and others come up, and, uh, or they had brought the gospel to the Samaritans, and Peter and others come, and they kind of impart the Holy Spirit upon the Samaritans is what it says. And there's this guy named Simon, not Simon Peter, but a different Simon, who is traveling with them. And Simon must have been a believer. He must have been doing everything right. He must have been reading his Bible and going to church and serving others. He's traveling with the apostles. But for some reason, when the Samaritans start doing all of these great actions by the Spirit, Simon's not doing those things. Because 1 Corinthians 12, we all have different gifts, right? Some people are going to do those things. Some people aren't. But Simon gets jealous. And Simon has pride. And so what do we do when something's not going our way or we need to trump ourselves up a little bit? Simon turns to his paycheck and he goes to the apostles and he says, tell you what, I will pay you if you will give me the same abilities as these other people. 
I'll give you everything in my bank account. Just give me the Holy Spirit so I can do all the things that they're doing because I see something that I'm not doing and I'm challenged by that. I'm threatened by that because I ought to be able to do it. And if I can't do it, I'm going to buy it. Even the Ethiopian eunuch, where he's coming from in Jerusalem, the irony of him being such a great, faithful Jewish person who does all of these things, he's kind of in between Jewish and Gentile in a lot of theologians' mind, but the irony is I can look at him and say he's doing all the right things. Except when he was in Jerusalem, according to Leviticus 21, because of his physical blemish, he's not allowed to approach the temple. He's cast out. And so even the temple system is trying to gain control over holiness and over righteousness. It's this good that we are led to, this provenient grace that leads us to know that we are good. We're created in the image of God. There's something else out there. But even good can become an idol in and of itself. We can do so much good that we start to think that this is all because of me. Justifying grace is the humility to say all glory to God. Justifying grace is that grace given to us when we finally recognize we can't do it on our own. It's the John 3.16 verse that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And why is that necessary? Well, in Mark 18, or Mark 10.18, someone comes up to Jesus and says, you know, good teacher. And he says, no one is good but God. And Paul would expound in Romans 3.23 to say that, you know, the similarity we have between us is that all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing that we can do to earn the glory of God. There's nothing we can perform to be the glory of God. There's nothing we can buy to get to the glory of God. A lot of, uh, not a lot, but part of why I think Jesus comes to us is so that we can know that we're not God. Under the system of the law, under the system of works, you can maybe build yourself up to say, well, I'm doing everything right, and so therefore I am next to holiness, I am next to God. But then that becomes an idol where you start keeping other people like the eunuch out. Because once we start to believe that we're the epitomization of good, it's very easy to cast other people out. It's very easy to call other people bad. It's very easy to call other people evil. And so Jesus comes to be amongst us and walk amongst us, show us what good really is so that we can know we're not God. That we fall short of the glory of God. And there's a lot of people I have met and been in ministry with who think that is such a derogatory thing to say. That it is a derogatory thing for Christians to come upon other Christians or other people or just this message that we're not enough by ourselves, or at least that, that we're not complete by ourselves. Because three-fourths of the people I asked said, good comes from within yourself. You find the strength from within yourself. You find everything, is, everything somehow exists within yourself. But I believe like Wesley's early part of his ministry, we'll go crazy if we believe we can do it on our own. We'll go crazy trying to do the, right next, the next right thing, buy the next right thing, be the next right thing. We'll go crazy over and over and over again because there is no end to that vicious cycle and game. There is no amount of good we can do that we can't just turn around and do bad the next day. 
because of this constant tension between we are good but we are capable of evil because of the free will God has given us. So it's not a derogatory thing to say that we need the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of God that we get the grace of Jesus Christ. That in that incompleteness, in that tension, that dualism inside of us, God has sent freely, remember grace is free, God has sent freely Jesus to suffer for us, to die for us, and to defeat death for us so that we can gain the best of what life has to offer right now and we can become more of ourselves by putting, apart, putting aside the prideful games and becoming more of ourselves to love God and love neighbor and love ourselves because we've been freed from the comparison and the pride and the competition. And we get a glimpse of what eternity looks like because God has opened up eternal life for us. And this is freely given. This is not something that we have to earn. I'm not here saying, you know what, we're incomplete and so go give more or do more or serve more and finally you will earn your spot in the church or earn your spot in eternity. I'm not saying you have to go win the Super Bowl MVP. I'm not saying you have to dance all night with some guy who wants to dance all night. I'm not saying there's anything you have to do. That's why it's grace, is that God wants us to be part of God's community. God wants us to be part of heaven. God wants us to be complete. God wants us to feel at rest and at peace so that we're not competing all the time and, and worried all the time. God wants that for us, and so God sent Jesus into the world to take all of that worry away, to take all of that sin away, to say, you know what, you don't have to do anything because I'm going to send my son who's going to take all that away for you. And every time that you start worrying about being good enough, you just need to rest and that he has already made you good enough. Every time you're worried about not doing enough, you just need to rest and say, Jesus did it for me. And I hope, I hope on some level that our willingness to lose control, that our willingness to say that I need help our willingness to turn to God in desperation will actually free us to know or to be more than we ever could be without God. So no matter what we do or say today, no matter what I came up with this morning, all glory to God. That's why they'll say it tonight. God's not throwing touchdown passes. That's our job. And we'll get to sanctifying grace next week because that's our job. But our ability to do those things and the pressure it takes off that those things don't buy our goodness, that's what God has done for you. So let's pray. Gracious God, for the good that is us and within us, we give you thanks that you have made us in your image. The creative ability to make master strokes of beauty in this world through kindness, through dancing, through art, through logic, through whatever way we present ourselves as good, we give you thanks. But we know, God, that if we're always striving to be good in the next turn that it will be exhausting we know god that if we are striving for perfection in all things it will be exhausting and so let us turn our hearts to you 
Let us surrender our lives to you, knowing that it is only through your grace, it is only through your mercy that you have completed us through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us, the life he taught us to live, the way that leads to life eternal in resurrection. And so God, free us from our worry so that we might in turn replace that worry with nothing but grace and mercy and love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.